The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before listening to the podcast. New episodes air Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on FX. You know, I've, I've said sometimes that when you build a bridge, you, you know, cross a ravine, you don't build it from one side to the other. You build it from both sides to the middle. That's actually how they build a bridge. And at a certain point, you start to feel like you understand something about where the series will end as well as where it began and what it's to- what it is about in in total Hello and welcome to Slate's TV Club Insider Podcast for Season 4 of The Americans, where today we'll be discussing Episode 9, The Day After. I'm June Thomas, a writer and editor at Slate, and I'm the host of this podcast, which takes you behind the scenes of the show. I'm in Slate's New York studio with Joe Weisberg, the creator of The Americans. Hi, Joe. Hello, June. And his co-showrunner and co-executive producer, Joel Fields. Hi, Joel. Hey, good day. Today, we are joined by some very special guests, the CEO of FX Networks and FX Productions and also, incidentally, the mayor of television, John Langraff. <laughs> Hi, John. I'm delighted to be here, June. Thanks. And uh, vice president of current series at FX Networks, Colette Wilson. Hello, Colette. Hi. John and Colette, I was really curious to learn how involved you are in the making of the show, despite being 3,000 miles away. And I wonder if you could really tell me something very basic, which is how you interact with Joe and Joel and how you offer your feedback and what it is that you look at. Um, Colette, maybe we can start with you. Yeah, um, for us, the notes, creative notes process on the show obviously begins when we get a, we get the script and we at FX will schedule what we call an internal meeting, which usually takes place maybe a day after we get the script. And then the uh, folks in our group, from John on down to me, will um, get together and discuss our thoughts on the script. After that, what I do uh, is I will reach out to my studio counterpart, which is Fox 21 TV Studios, and then We will discuss the notes as well. And for the most part, since I've been on the show, which has been from the beginning, we've pretty much been in sync with the studio. And then at that point, we will all get on a call and talk to um, the Jays, or I'm sorry, I mean Joe Joe and Joel, who we affectionately refer to as the Jays. We will talk to them and, you know, discuss our reaction to the script. A lot of times, you know, it's not us giving, I guess, hard notes. It's more a conversation. It's more questions. And through that process, um, we end up with <laughs> an amazing episode. So, so um, John, can you give me some examples of the kind of things that you generally are kind of offering feedback on? You know, as Clut says, I think a lot of times we want to understand the intent. The first thing we want to do is understand what do Joe and Joel and the writers intend and why. You know, what, are they, what is the story they're telling, and why, do they, why are they telling that story? And I think the answer to your question, June, is if we're giving a note, it's generally based on that intent and the question of 
are they realizing that intent in a way that's clear and surprising and original and effective? And you know, most of the time, the answer is yes, because they're just so good and they're so clear about what they want to do. And their writers, they and their writers are so talented. But I, but you know, I guess one of the things I would say, June, is you know, the people that read these scripts include me and Nick Grad and Eric Schreier, who are the pres- co-presidents of original programming, and Jonathan Frank, who's the head of current programming, and Colette. And one of the reasons we read them all is we just really all want to be in the same dialogue and on the same page. We want to understand all of us stay really closely connected to Joe and Joel's process because I think where problems occur in this process in television is when people are kind of only desultorily, you know, paying attention to what's going on and then and then they and then they come in from left field. And I think that for writers, the the only useful notes are the ones that come from inside their intent and inside their process. It's rare for me to give a note directly to Joe and Joel, but you guys could say I I probably talk to you guys maybe four or five, six times a year. And generally if I'm talking to them directly, it's about Oftentimes, it's an observation about something that was particularly wonderful or great or moving or stirring or gave me a deeper understanding of the show. A lot of times, it may go all the way back to the pilot or the original intent in the show and the way that's being expressed, or it could be a conversation about the large story movements, the big tectonic story movements of or character movements of the season and how they relate to the show as a whole and the theme of the show as a whole. And, you know, oftentimes... I think the only real value we might be able to provide is just being farther away from it, yet also paying attention and inside it so that sometimes we may catch something, you know, that's a big generalized thing and be able to provide a useful piece of feedback to Joe and Joel. I mean, I want to add one thing to that, which is I think this all applies, what they're describing applies exactly to the last couple seasons. But I think it was really very different first season when all of us together as a team, were trying to really figure out what the show was. And at that point, I think the notes process was, I don't even know if you should call it a notes process. It was all of us talking about every script in great detail and trying to figure out together what the tone of the show was and how the story, how we, how we would find the show together. Yeah, and there's one thing I would add on top of that, which is there's a, there's a third category to this communication, which is sometimes there are outgoing calls from me and Joe to Colette or Jonathan or even to John. I remember second season, John, Joe, and I calling you as we were breaking the last few episodes, and we just called you to generally say, can you talk to us for 15 or 20 minutes about your experiences with finales and what you've mm-hmm. learned over your career? And I can't point to a specific idea we got out of that. Maybe I could if I went back and I rewatched the last three episodes of season two, but I can tell you it informed our process. So uh, John and Colette and the other folks out West are in a way, you're coming to them partly as your paymasters, as your bosses, but also as people who are very experienced producers of television. So it's not a simple thing like you're the gods of art and they're the gods of money or anything crass like that. It's it's a more of a advise me, help us to be sure that we're on the right track as far as the artistic expression is concerned. Yeah, it feels very much like a creative team. I mean, I think in those moments, you more or less forget about the fact that they're the paymasters. <laughs> I mean, you hear a lot of stories about people at networks who who do feel that way and feel they're being told what to do and yeah. have sort of the word notes even has a bad connotation, which is why a lot of times I don't even like to use it. But no, that's not our experience. Happily. But, and I'd be interested to hear John and Colette's point of view on this, but there's a 
I think sometimes a sense from the outside that there's a difference between the creative process and the production process or the gods of creativity and the gods of money. But the truth is, in a world of limited resources, how you expend those resources goes straight to what's on screen. It goes straight to the creative process. And I think there's a general sense from FX that they want to treat us as adults creatively and as adults producerially, and that allows us all to allocate the resources to make the best show we can. Yeah, I, feel, I, I strongly agree with that sentiment, which is that I think that when networks and or studios uh, are too intrusive and they essentially want to relegate the creative people to the creative and therefore they want to feel like they're controlling the money, in fact, they're limiting the creative expression by doing that because no one is better able to figure out where limited resources should be apportioned to create the best, you know, most original and creative output than the people making the show. And so we work really hard in all of our shows to to try to genuinely delegate the handling of the money, the business part of it, to the creative people. And, you know, Joe and Joel are, I think, exquisitely good at that and very responsible about it uh, because their intent is to make the very best show they can given the resources they have. And I think they they do that, you know, really well. And it, it, we could only muck it up if we were more intrusive or more deeply involved in that. Well, speaking of um, sort of orchestrating the show, The Americans is, is about in a marriage that was arranged. I understand that uh, when the show was first starting, um, was first being considered, in a way, John and perhaps Colette, you two, you arranged the mar- the work marriage of Joe and Joel. Is is that right? Can you tell us about that, John? I didn't know Joe very well, but everything I knew about him indicated that he was, you know, a really, really thoughtful, mature, hardworking mensch. And I knew that to be the case with Joel and suggested that uh, that might be a good partnership. And I think it has been, but that's all credit to them, to tell you the truth. It's not, it's easy to see two really, really thoughtful, talented, decent people might get along. (laughs) I like how John give credit. It reminds me, as we've done all our research on the Americans, there was a great Ronald Reagan quote that crept up, which was, he said, you can achieve just about anything in the world as long as you don't care who gets the credit. (laughs) (laughs) That just popped into my mind. And, you know, John, just to go back, when you talk about people saying yes and empowering us to make decisions, it it has another impact, I think, on us, which is it not only encourages us creatively to listen really openly, knowing that we're empowered to to make those decisions and we can really hear and talk through and, and trust our dialogues with you. But there's also, in a way, I think the other piece that what that hasn't been quite expressed and, and has taken me some time to get to is there's also an understanding that we can also be wrong. We can take our strong point of view and then it's okay if we're not right 100% of the time because nobody is. And I think to be working in an environment where we're safe to fail in a way allows us to take the kind of risks that have made this show work. Well, it's very it's very easy to be open and to listen to people who are coming from that place. And it makes me think about the fact that, too, that sometimes when we're talking to Colette and some of the people on those calls, they'll bring up a certain point of view or a certain reaction to something that they had when they were reading a script or watching the cut. But they'll say to us, but you know what, guys? there were different opinions in the room. Mm -hmm. And they'll give us, they'll say, some of us thought this, but some of us thought the exact opposite. And that's also actually a great thing to hear because, of course, you've got to remember that this is something entirely subjective on almost all levels. And to kind of be reminded of that is very helpful. 
Jean and Colette, what have been your responses to this season, which I would say is is perhaps has a little less action perhaps than some of the earlier seasons, but is really focusing very heavily on psychology. You know, from your point of view, from the network and the and the production side of things, how do you respond to that slight evolution of focus? Well, I mean, the one thing I would just say is that yes, I think it makes sense. I mean, it you know, the more that Paige is being brought into, you know, the family secret, I feel like it's sort of a natural story evolution that it would go that direction. You know, if we went back to the to the beginning when they were figuring out, uh, fully figuring out their characters, their intent, uh, the tone, they were experimenting with narrative structure. There were times when they were making more cases. They were they were they were having more closed in episodes and more cases. They've sort of figured out the what they believe is the optimal relationship between serialization and and the spy plot and the emotional and character plot. We were figuring out trying to figure out how to market the show and who was a likely fan of it. As we enter the fourth season, I think that the audience of the show is what it is. It's established. I think Joe and Joel have earned an enormous amount of trust from the audience and from us by basically making the most critically acclaimed drama in America two years in a row. The American Film Institute has chosen it as one of the 10 best dramas in America. And the other thing that's happened is I think that they have gone deeper and deeper and deeper into an understanding of their characters and an understanding of the relationship between what they're trying to say thematically, what the whole show is about, and the narrative story they're telling that involves uh, these various characters. And now they're actually even able, I think, to, you know, I've, I've said sometimes that when you build a bridge, you know, cross a ravine, you don't build it from one side to the other, you build it from both sides to the middle. That's actually how they build a bridge. And at a certain point, you start to feel like you understand something about where the series will end as well as where it began and what it's what it is about in total and I guess I would just say that I think they, they, they've gone deeper and deeper and deeper into the unique structure and intent of this series. And so, frankly, I, I, I'd say there's no conflict at all anymore in the process. There may be sometimes some uncertainty or some respectful disagreement, but they're making their show and we're all in on that show at this point. Um, if we can just turn around to uh, 409, the episode revolves around this huge piece of national appointment television, the airing of the day after, which just as last week's focused on David Copperfield making the Statue of Liberty disappear. And as people who have to think about ratings and other things, but that's got to be part of what you're thinking about. Do you think those days of huge national events are gone or at least just reduced to the Super Bowl and maybe the Oscars every year? They're just lovely scenes, this episode of everyone staring at the television while the show airs. And I can only imagine you sort of sitting looking at those scenes thinking, why is everybody not doing this with the people versus OJ? Although there, I know a lot of people are watching or baskets. Um, Those were the days of not enough television. That's right. <laughs> On peak TV. How did that make you feel? I mean, I think we've gained something through the fracturing of our attention as a society. But on the other hand, one of the ways that rapid progress could be made on civil rights or, say, something like gay marriage is through a lack of fractured attention and the ability of, of the media sometimes to really step in and command 
attention on things like nuclear disarmament and things like that. Right. And I, I, so I think we've lost something for the fracturing of that attention. And one of the things I find so stunning about this episode, I, I love this episode, and I find it just remarkable that it can be said to be historically accurate that at the same time the world was fixated on this incredible piece of television the day after, which showed the potential consequences of nuclear war, the only reason we avoided actually having one was because of the unthinkably <laughs> courageous and heroic actions of, of a person in the Soviet Union who correctly guessed that a launch warning was technical error. And so it shows, you know, how close we came through through things like the, you know, the Cuban you know, missile crisis, but also things we don't even know about. But it also shows just the the cost of the distrust, the power that distrust has to make the very thing that we fear in the other and and in the outcome come true, which is, I think, a part of what the Americans is about. By the way, you know, people have known for a long time that the day after had a real effect on Ronald Reagan and pushed him towards a more conciliatory approach to the Soviet Union. But what was just in the paper the other day that I'd never heard was that war games also had a big effect on him. And in a way, it's easy to take an approach to those things and sort of what I've mostly heard is people sort of teasing Ronald Reagan about that. But maybe it's great. I mean, those were great movies and they had real points to make. And if he was affected by those, then he's being affected like we all were. So, I mean, we, those of us here believe in television, and we like its power to move people. Right. I, I want to. I, I actually want to amplify that because I, I. This is something I genuinely believe, June. I, I really genuinely believe that that artists and storytellers in society will lead if given the opportunity. I really genuinely believe that. I believe that narrative leads us. It can lead us to worse, darker places, but it can very much lead us to better places. It's it's a fundamental expression of human growth and self realization, evaluation, and yearning. And I think part of what makes a society great is is its storytellers. And so to me, you know, obviously I'm a business person who works for a publicly traded corporation, but there's a, there's a real mission in my view, and I think Colette and many of the others feel this way, that if we are able to empower storytellers, and in particular empower storytellers of the extraordinary vision and talent of people like Joel and Joe, we make the world a better place. I think The Americans is not only a, a really stunning and beautiful piece of entertainment, I think it makes the world a better place by examining some really important truths about us, including the very notion that when we are, uh, justify bad behavior through an ism, through the, be- the belief that the ends justify the means because the ends are so important, and obviously that's told through the prism like largely of the Soviet Union's intent and ends, you know, its communist government, but I think the, the analogy holds true of the way that lying and, and justifying uh, the means with the ends erodes fundamental trust and intimacy. And this whole show is about the struggle of two people and a family that wants to connect and wants to love each other against the corrosive impacts of the, of the ism to which they're devoted and the, and the methodology they use to support that ism. And I think that's a profound and important message. So when in your creative process, did you know that you were going to have an episode that revolved around the airing of the day after on the television? That was very early, wasn't it? (laughs) It was very early. It's interesting. David Copperfield came very late and then seemed to be essential. And the day after was always essential in a way to the season 
and to the episode, it was kind of a critical piece that this story was hanging on. I mean, the thing that's so funny, and I think we might have talked about this in one of the other podcasts, is that we had we always have a list at the beginning uh-huh. of the season where we're starting to break story of all the important historical events, and this part of you know 1983 that we traverse in this season had. All these huge, important shooting down KAL, the Marine barracks being bombed. And then we also have important cultural ones like the day after. And all the historical events are not in the show this season, and the day after is. Right. Uh, You know, I will say also, it was an opportunity to go back and rewatch the day after, which I had not seen since I was a teenager. And boy, it really holds up. It's something. And it really captures the feeling of the time, both in terms of the war and the fear of uh, thermonuclear destruction. But it also, there's a great moment early on where um, there's a mother, and she's out, she's hanging some clothes on a clothesline, and her little kids, I don't know, they're seven and five, scamper out to the field, and uh, the five-year-old says, ah, I want, I want some cookies. And the mother says, well, just go inside and make some cookies. And the kids go, okay. And they scamper off to the farmhouse in the distance, and you just think, man, that was 1983, <laughs> where you would send your toddlers into the house to cook with a hot stove while you hung laundry and didn't think twice about it. So uh, John and Colette, obviously watching the show is part of your job. You offer your notes or not notes to Joe and Joel. Um, But is this something that you watch for fun? And and when you watch for fun, how do you experience it differently? I would say if I didn't work here, I would definitely be watching the show. Um, (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) But um, what makes it so enjoyable here, it's hard to separate it, you know, like personal from professional because, yes, I watch it because I work on it. But a lot of what we do here at FX is a collaborative effort. And so, you know, when we um, watch a cut, it will be John you know, myself, my boss, Jonathan Frank, the president of the networks, Nick Grad and Eric Schreier. And, you know, and we have the ability to, you know, if one of us questions something or has a comment about something, we pause, we talk, and then we'll resume. And sometimes something will be so good that we rewind again just to enjoy it, you know? So for me, the professional viewing experience is a pleasure. I can only tell you that I, I wish I could watch this show without knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> I wish I could watch it without having read the scripts because I'm so moved. And and I think one of the reasons that it gets me so much is that, I mean, look, all of us arguably have probably seen hundreds of thousands, maybe a million scenes. I can't tell you how many I've read, watched, dissected, and seen. And most scenes, therefore, between human beings in any play or, or television show or movie feel derivative to me. They, they feel familiar to me. They feel like scenes that are different versions that I've, of scenes that I've seen before. And the stories feel like different versions of stories that I've seen before. I don't feel that way about the Americans. I feel like I'm seeing stories and scenes that are wholly new to me. I called Joe and Joel after a recent episode in which there was a scene of marital conflict between Philip and Elizabeth. And the marital conflict was familiar. Uh, I'm married. I've been married for 18 years. It, it was exactly what I understand to be what happens sometimes in intimate relationships, where there, where where you have a moment where you're uh, you're hurt or you have an issue uh, of trust. But the the, meth, the mode by which that was expressed through the characters was something wholly original that I had never seen before. Literally, never seen anything like it. And we stopped the the TV and we we looked at each other and said, "Oh, wow, that was just that was just really amazing." She'd already seen me. When? 
about three weeks ago. She was falling apart. I had to. Did you want her to? To see you? I, I didn't know what else to do. She needed... Your question as to how you maintain your beginner's mind or your audience mind right. in this process, it's important for them, but it's also important for us. Huh. And uh, I know that when we get a first draft story or script, we each sit and read it through. I read it through without a pen mm. in my hand, without interruption, and just try to experience it top to bottom. And when we get a director's cut, we'll sit in the editing room, turn out the lights, not have pad or paper in hand, and we'll just watch that director's work and take it in. And then the next day we go in and start to do our work. But mm. we, we try to preserve a few places in the process for ourselves to just be fresh audience members. That's great. John, can you just talk us through the factors that go into your decision about whether or not to renew a show like The Americans? You know, it's basically kind of like a, a general manager of a sports team with a limited payroll making a decision about uh, how to field the best roster of players in a highly competitive environment. And so different players provide different values. You know, somebody might score a lot of points, i.e. put up a lot of ratings or generate a fair amount of ad, ad sales. Um, I'd say with the Americans, it's, a, it's an important defining component of FX's brand 
both in the moment now when it currently exists on our schedule and also a legacy of our brand by virtue of its uh, extraordinary originality and quality and the incredible amount of critical claim it receives. And by the way, the people that love it absolutely love it. It is one of their favorite shows. So there's right. intensity of passion for it amongst its fans. It's not a particularly big ratings success. And I, and I think that's not surprising given the fact that it's a very sad show and a very dense and a very demanding show. It's very rewarding, but it's very demanding. So, you know, it earns its it earns its spot by virtue of, of its being one of the best shows on television and, and as I said, there will be at least five seasons of this show and there and there may be six. And and frankly Joe and Joel and I have already been talking about that because they need to know right. what they're writing. They need to know and they when they wrap the fourth season they will go back and take a break and a little break, but then they'll go back and begin the writing process on the fifth season before they take a hiatus and, and they need to know when that happens whether that's the final season or whether there will be another. So so we're actively in those conversations at the moment because that's necessary to their ability to write the best possible show. I didn't realize until now how similar programming a network is to running a fantasy football team. So this, this has been really useful. Yeah. That's it for this week. Thanks again to Joel Fields, Joe Weisberg, and to John Landgraf and Colette Wilson for joining us to talk about episode 9 The Day After. Come back next week to hear us talk about episode 410 Munchkins, when we'll be joined by another very special guest, Nate Barr the composer of the Americans' amazing opening theme, who is also responsible for the show's score Thanks again for listening, I'm June Thomas, our producer is Henry Malofsky, this show is part of the Panoply Network